Welcome to the Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the marvelous Marvel film and television community. My name is Matt, and joining me once again is the man who says hubba bubba to the siren of the Strategic Scientific Reserve. It's Pete. What's buzzing, cousin? Security, we have a code pink. The Agent Carter radio program for episode 203, Better Angels, is brought to you by Kid Colt Outlaw. From Stock Pictures. What do you think the audiences will make of a comic book movie? Just sounds like fooey to me. That's just kid stuff. I say kid stuff. But Pete, not kid stuff. Before we jump into this episode, let's just talk quickly about the ratings from last week. Uh, and Pete, if you could summarize them in one word, what would it be? Dreadful. Wow, that was uh, a little more extreme version of the word I was thinking of. But yeah, definitely uh, soft on its return from last week. I believe, Pete, it was a, it was a .9 in, uh, in uh, the, uh, the all-important 18 through 49 uh, ratings point, And that's, uh, that's not too great. Agent Carter remains the show that fans saved from near certain oblivion last year. If that's going to happen for a third season, people have to get watching it and watching it live. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the flagship, the mothership, if you will, has never fallen below a 1.3. This is not a good start when there should have been pent-up demand for a show uh, not on since last year. Pete, to quote from TV by the numbers, uh, about six quick sentences here from them. Uh, Carter's first season ratings ended up within a tenth of a point of those of S.H.I.E.L.D., so it made sense uh, for a renewal to continue that you know 30 episode or so block. Uh, it's a tougher case this time out, though S.H.I.E.L.D. has declined some for this season. S.H.I.E.L.D. is uh, in the renewal column thanks to the third season rule that is, of course... Uh, you know, if you get your first two in, you're probably going to get, and you get renewed for a third season, you're on the path to a fourth season renewal. Uh, Carter has neither of those going for it, the third season rule uh, or, or anything else. Premiere rating, that point nine being half the series premiere from last year. So let's not forget, dear friends, that uh, Agent Carter is on, you know, broadcast TV. So those live viewing numbers do count for quite a bit. Get on it. In this segment, we run down the top stories in the episode and give you the latest and the greatest and the need to know. Pete, let's start with that great shot of 1940s Hollywood. Yes, and you know, Matt, uh, being a, a former full-time member of the media, the media played a very interesting role uh, throughout this episode, and we start with our teaser where Carter and Sousa are under the siege of the press. Indeed, Pete, but uh, certainly cutting cutting quite a, uh, a swath through those uh, pressers. We have uh, Peggy in that uh, rather stunning green and purple dress, if, uh, if you don't mind my saying so. And Pete, they are at the home of the definitely dead, totally dead. <laughs> let's just mention it up front and let's mention it a little bit later again. Totally dead. There's also a quick expeditional recap of the things that happened uh, last week slash in the previously on segment. 
before the episode started. But just to be clear, Pete, Dr. Jason Wilkes, pioneer, uh, somebody who, who, who was not confined by or contained by the limitations of his day, totally dead in that yeah. accident. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that he was in possession of uh, the same type of pin that uh, Dottie tried to steal in New York uh, certainly catches attention of the investigators here. They find a hollow floorboard um, underneath $50,000 in cash, a one-way ticket to Moscow. But this, Matt, is what Carter quickly figures out is a frame job, that all this stuff was found easily. Uh, you know, he's no Russian spy, says Peggy. Yeah, she takes Agent Baker to to task for his crazy theory with the Soviet stuff. Just to be fair, Peggy is literally holding uh, the ticket to Moscow, so it's not that crazy. Uh, although, uh, you know, as she does say, or at least implies, it's right before the title card. This is all too easy. Clearly, they're they're setting this up. And uh, with that, Pete, to the title card we go. And then we go back to the Old West. Yeah, and uh, you're in the shot. Really nice way to suddenly insert Howard Stark into the story. Uh, it's and I don't say that with a with a wag of the finger at all. We were told he was busy doing movie stuff, so the fact that we get this this you know change in change in location, what's going on? It's a perceived change in time. Uh, they're not on the Warner's Western backlot, sadly, no longer there. But I digress. Uh, as I said, we get to meet uh, the director on this Western, Howard Stark himself, and. Um, Pete, wait a minute. I thought he wasn't going to be in this show at all, but there he is. Yeah, you know, it'd be nice if they could kind of work him in as a preacher in in one of these uh, movie pictures he's directing here, given that he's been off making that other comic book TV show that's coming. But uh, any episode with the great Dominic Cooper to bring him back and, you know, they tease us quite a bit at New York Comic Con. Would he be back? Wouldn't he? And, you know, there's Haley Atwell and uh, suddenly, boom, sweeping up after uh, her little pre-recorded message is uh, Dom Cooper. So we knew he'd be back. And uh, back we go to the black matter footage. Uh, zero, zero matter. Zero matter, <laughs> black matter. It's all connected, Pete. Um, uh, Howard, of course, IDs it um, and uh, and gives some information there. And uh, also mentions rather quickly uh, the notion of the, uh, the, the super secret club where uh, they like the male and pale. Good rhyming scheme there. Yes, the arena club, um, kind of hard initially to uh, to understand. The, the dialogue came fast and furious in these early scenes, but um, worked out the uh, details here that Howard had um, been recruited a number of times by this uh, males-only outfit, uh, a little too males-only for him given uh, Howard's proclivities. But then again, he didn't even remember Dottie, Matt. Yeah, he didn't. If if you're going to do uh, kind of, you know, expositional recap 
uh this is how you do it where it's like it's it, it it's played perfectly it's kind of pushing the edge of reality a bit but we know howard is uh He's 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 there for the laugh sometime, and the fact that he has no idea who that Russian spy would have been, but just mention what he was wearing, and it all comes back. It's uh, it's worth the laughs, definitely. And from there, it's Whitney with the scar, Matt, of that zero matter. Yes, the zero matter cut. It's got leaky, oozy, dark matter from it. And speaking of dark and oozy, in comes the prospective senator, uh, Cal, her husband. And um, they have some nice clear-cut exposition about having set up Jason Wilkes and how it's all neatly tied up. Because, Pete, just so you know, Jason Wilkes is dead. Right. And uh, one thing I think was important, really kind of foreshadowing things to come, the zero matter moving from her temple to her finger and absorbing. We'll get back to absorption in a little bit, but uh, Calvin wants to know why she isn't at work. Uh, She floats the possibility of retiring from acting, but there's the senatorial campaign to come after he wins. Then she can retire and have all the babies she wants because yeah, the zero matter is going to make that possible. (laughs) It's uh, in, in an episode that came uh, fast and furious with all sorts of explanations, making things clear in the dialogue. This was a more subtle moment, just to serve as a reminder that uh, things are not peachy keen between Cal and Whitney. And uh, I dare say, Pete, those uh, that lack of peachy keenness will bear story fruit in future episodes. But with that, we seamlessly transition to SSR LAHQ. And Pete, who's in the corner office in LA? It's the guy who's in the corner office in New York. Jack's come to visit. Yeah, with a little bit of stubble here, no less. That's because, Pete, he's a brooding kind of guy. And even (laughs) though it's 1947 and you kind of look sloppy in the office because this is not the the post-Miami Vice era where that kind of stubble is okay, um, you know what? Hey, he's the boss, Pete. He gets to set the tone. If that's the tone he wants to set, so be it. Oh, by the way, he's ending Peggy's investigation at the end. Well, here comes that media again, Matt. Your liberal media, they've not even released a statement, yet Isodyne is desperate to have Wilkes out there as a communist. So, sounds to me like Jack is maybe afraid of some of those reporters to the point that he doesn't want to even, even speak to them. Yeah, but he's got business in town here, and he's concerned that they're going to connect Carter to the commie. The business he has in town rolls off his lips uh, as though it's a poor story story excuse to keep uh, the the enjoyable, if not uh, well, the enjoyable Chad Michael Murray and the unlikable Jack. Uh, in the story, the fact that we're about to see the return of uh, of Kurtwood Smith's uh, as of yet unnamed FBI guy uh, does kind of add a little extra nuance there to no really Jack is there for kind of important and longer term story uh, story reasons. But it's the idea here that he needs a signature from Carter, something he winds up putting on himself. 
Pete, the very best screenwriting programs will tell you that there is no better act break than wanting a signature from someone. And that's what the show does. (laughs) The act break happens. And then, Pete, we find out that Howard is um, fannying about, which um, to us in these United States, that, of course, is uh, he's just kind of lazing around with his buttocks. But, uh, Pete, that means something different. Um, and there's a lot of ladies, and um, I think we let's just move. Let's keep on moving here. Yeah, poolside here with uh, a whole bunch of production assistants, Matt. <sighs> Some things don't change, I suppose. What we do get out of this is he's just waking up at 10 a.m., and uh, the story moves uh, to uh, back to the office where Jack is getting more pressure from FBI guy to lock down the report, keep it all quiet. Let's not this forget is- that. After, however, he has watched the Zero Matter film, which uh, Kurtwood Smith's FBI agent does not believe that Jack has seen later on. Indeed, kind of the, the barest glimmer of hope that Jack may do the right thing this season um whether it's kind of getting the information uh from the uh ironically from two sources of media as much aligned as the media is he watches his newsreel footage uh such as it is of this and later on he gets pete some news from a paper of news if you can imagine such a thing um but more on that in a bit um kurtwood smith says that welk stole some sensitive things and that needs to be returned quietly and jack is reminded to play ball if he wants to be a nice friend of the good old us of a right there are bigger fish here than the ssr and uh you know not to be a boy scout here but they're gonna do lunch at the club the fact that it is delivered somewhat clunkily by the the ever wonderful Kurtwood Smith, and then that's a lead up to the next line, which is that's that's what they seem to do out here to do lunch. Um, Pete, it's rare to hide a Chekhov's gun, but this is a Chekhov's lunch, and uh, <laughs> and setting up you know near the end of the episode, and it's all it's uh, it's nicely done in an episode, but as stated before, doesn't doesn't sell itself as having a ton of nuance. There still are these nuanced moments, which is nice to see because I think Pete, this is a 50 minute story that had to get sped up into 42 minutes. And uh, there's still quiet moments like this at the arena club. Um, Howard and Jarvis are told that uh, they've had to lower their standards, Matt. Last week, they admitted a member from Brown of all places. Can you believe it? And as a Providence College guy, you know, with the number 10 ranked basketball team in the country right now, uh, I certainly have to shake my hand at, head at that. Brown? Ugh. It's... Pete, these times, they are a change in. And you know what? If there's anything that we can learn from the Arena Club, it's that white men with money and power need to hang on because there's there's just threats from all quarters. And we all need to be be very afraid indeed. Um, But Pete, we see in the club, they have a lot to be afraid about. Can you imagine what it would be like to change this club? It's prim and proper and manly man. There's not a... Fanny to be seen um, until even, 
Matt, Eleanor Roosevelt has not managed to get past their threshold, but, you know, Howard's seen that threshold and he thinks they made the right call on old Ellie. (laughs) With that, though, Howard leads in a gaggle of gooses and Pete, who is in the back of the pack? It's Peggy Carter herself and uh, this all a giant diversion so that she can sneak about and place kind of magnetic something or others uh, <laughs> later revealed i believe that's it's... exactly what it said in the script magnetic something or other um but between it's it's a delightful scene in the the action of you know jarvis showing uh you know how to make a martini in a timely fashion you know the security guy calling a, a code pink um carter works her way into the inner sanctum there and and she sees the headlines from what we later learn is the next day's news from the future matt like where we are now that's right news from the future you know what speaking of the future pete i hear 1947 is going to be quite the memorable year for the bases ball but more on that in our second hour just want to mention by the way pete uh what portion of the uh, suit of armor does she touch in order to get into the secret meeting room? I didn't pay attention to that. And it we... was, as you noted last week, the beaver. But Pete, as you mentioned, she does see those two alternate headlines. I wondered, perhaps, Pete, was it Kane elected fraud at polls? No, it's more senator stuff. But then Pete, a goon, comes in to end the act. And this one's a good one. He's not looking for a signature. He's looking for goon enforcement stuff. Yeah, she's trying to plant these devices under the table, and it's just not working out, as we'll learn. They had some countermeasures in place. It's a slightly, ever so slightly belabored moment as the goon is on the phone saying, I need more help down here. No, I think something is not quite right here. I believe I need more help down here. It was like a video game where it's like, it's like, no, you need to move things into the third elevator right that's right elevator number three um but as he's having this conversation peggy fixes a fake out with a portion of her dress or something and it kind of sparks and he says what's that over there and she goes over here and she sneaks out just in time as the door closes yes and the minute somebody notices she's not supposed to be there jarvis comes around and assists miss wendy directing her to the powder room great line there from uh peggy pretending to be wendy saying she gets confused about books um (laughs) and uh with this everybody who's part of this charade uh is wrapping up and leaving and pete uh, the new hashtag howard wants all these ladies to go back uh to the to stark manor with him because it's time for water giggles yeah, that was a that was a good one there. But uh of course he doesn't like their club being as uh one-sided as it is. And uh that's that's the wonderful thing about exploring this in the past and and Stark as a comedic character is that we can have fun with that. Back we go to Pete what I love to say just because it rolls off the tongue the tongue SSRHQLA Jack is all finger waggy and Sousa's all defensive of Peggy and it's all conflict and drama and we all hate Jack 
Uh, Peggy calls out Jack's nonsense, saying that he's tiptoeing in order to get his medal. And it's a really good moment until everybody remembers that he's the boss and he banishes her back to New York City. Yeah, but they talk about the headline there, Anderson Ankles Election. Wait, Pete, what was that headline again? I just want to make sure I remember it for later. (laughs) Anderson Ankles ankles election oh. hollywood speak for you know trips up tomorrow's date was on there and after thompson has given them a hard time about uh breaking into a private club matt in america of all places that uh this arena club is uh really kind of upset of what's gone on and uh, that they're going to make this um, other competitor in the campaign resign and Reagan election serious business. The bugs, however, that Peggy tried to plant were destroyed. After Peggy gets the, uh, gets the order that she's out of here, Peggy Carter heading to Hollywood, apparently wrapping up for good. Uh, She goes into the outer office area, and it's stressed again, Pete, that Wilkes is really, really, really dead. And uh, (laughs) she's upset. Haley Atwell has a really... funeral. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Side note, Haley Atwell has a really distinctive angry walk. Uh, I'm not being critical. In fact, how can one be critical of anything Haley Atwell does? Um, Just pointing it out watch for it the next time jack says something annoying and she storms off um so just just to kind of check all the boxes here pete peggy upset she's going back to new york check wilkes is really really dead check oh and peggy has stuff floating around her yeah uh if there's a way to break (laughs) that scene out having objects suddenly floating around and the prospect of Peggy being contaminated with the zero matter is certainly a way to do it. Naturally, Pete, the story now moves to Stark Manor basement edition where actually, pardon me, they're not in the, in the basement. They're in the, they're in the kitchen and Stark finds that some stuff floats near her, but not heavy bottles of booze. Um, and that is, of course, Pete, because she's um, seven degrees cooler. I thought he was just using a uh, a thermometer to to uh, represent uh, the, the masculine and to show that it is uh, powerless in her in her kind of uh, you know view of the future. But no, it's a thermometer. She's seven degrees cooler, and that's explained by Jarvis that it's a yes. gravitational disruption. Their gravitational disruption, which okay exposition keeps us moving uh and then we cut back to the lab and uh pete i'm gonna read from my notes now uh stark makes a thing and wilkes is back sort of (laughs) well great line when the bottle of booze breaks out of howard that uh she needs the cheap stuff okay and then the uh who moment of all right she's not contaminated come to the lab there where um, Stark really explaining his interest in film and what I thought was one of the more effective points of the episode is more so in science than the art of it, that he's going to beat these film yahoos at their own game and that film and silver nitrate at this point in history were two things that heavily coincided. And suddenly he is spraying this mixture and we have found the guy who is really, really dead. One Dr. Jason Wilkes materializes as we end the act. 
if it wasn't for Jason Wilkes suddenly appearing, it would have been a great time to just all of a sudden cut to a Sam Jackson voiceover filmed with silver nitrate. It's explosive, you know, Inglorious Bastards and all that. But instead, Jason Wilkes is back. I'm shocked. And uh, and act end. I wonder if Howard will be working with colloidal silver by the 60s. You never know, Pete. It's all connected. All TV shows are just part of one thing. <laughs> the mind of a child. Oh, wow. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, the act having broken, um, Wilkes gets a little bit more spray, and now he can speak because he just needed to get more spray in his vocal cords, and now they have cohesion and things. And then what does he speak about, Pete? Last oh, week's episode. Yeah, he's been shadowing them since the night before. Uh, they're going to try to make him whole again. Asked what he remembers. Uh, he explains everything that went on the night he went to uh, Isodyne, that he went for the zero matter, that Whitney Frost showed up. So now we've connected her to this, that she had a gun, that they were fighting over the zero matter, that uh, she grabbed it, that they fell and boom. And suddenly, Matt, he starts to flutter here and is gone. Yeah. Um, as soon as all the information he needs to share gets said, he then isn't able to talk anymore or be seen. So there's that. Um, the story moves to the what I like to think of Pete as the Stark Manor breakfasting court. Um, and Jarvis is given instructions on a supply run so they can make more spray. Velveeta. Velveeta, indeed. I, I'm going to assume Velveeta was around then, Pete, but I'm going to look it up while you say more things. Perhaps, will you take us, Pete, into Whitney's dressing room? <laughs> Well, uh, as soon as Jarvis gets two bricks of Velveeta there, I wonder if you can fondue with it. Um, but the whole thing here with the infiltration that's, uh, that's gone on and uh, the Isodyne work, um, Carter wants to know if Whitney Frost is familiar with this. And, of course, it's one uh, woman in the know uh, feeling out another with what she knows uh, and Whitney plays dumb that she gets a migraine even at the thought of her husband's work and it's agent Carter isn't it because Whitney is into science and she's also into this idea that a woman is more than just her appearance Pete, three crazy things going on in 1947. Number one is the notion that uh, it would be shocking for a woman to be interested in science. Second is the fact that everybody except for everybody on Agent Carter smokes. And third, fun, true fact, um, in the 1930s, Velveeta got the American Metal Association seal of approval. All of this incredibly shocking. And... Um, <laughs> And incredibly true as well. So I'm I'm more surprised about that than the fact that there's zero matter that's invaded a lady. Like zero matter, Velveeta also made in a lab. <laughs> so true, so true indeed. Uh, Pete, if there is one thing, though, that is also stressed in this scene as we talk about the rather nicely named Isodyne incident, I like the, uh, the alliteration there, 
Um, Whitney does know one thing. He's a he, Jason. He's a red, a commie, a pinko. He's one of them, which I thought was uh, interesting wording there, considering uh, the racial subtext explored last week, but in no way explored. Well, marginally explored this week. And it all comes down, Matt, to instincts here. Do they trust their instincts into things? And the line is even said, things aren't what they seem. But the set calls and it's Whitney got to do her duty. Um, And how about things not, not being what they seem? Do directors actually go and get people? I don't think so. Whitney no. Frost does not work at some sort of, some sort of you know, B or C level studio here. Just calling out the show there. You should have gotten works, somebody else. You know, it works in the context of what happens later in the episode with overly huggy Ken. Ken. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say that laughingly because Ken was a bad, bad guy. Just yes, ah, Ken. Uh, the story moves to Jack handing over the film to unnamed FBI guy who sounds nothing like the guy who narrated the news clips in Starship Troopers. Jack stresses that he didn't watch it, the film, just as we should not watch Starship Troopers. Not a great movie. <laughs> wow. Jack did not watch it once. Not at all. Not a number of times behind closed doors with the blinds down, looking sweaty and furtive. And and worried that someone would come in. No, no, the door is locked. Please don't come in. But he's told by the dad from that 70s show, FBI agent man, that he's doing the right thing, that no one will remember this in history, this meeting, but he will remember this great service to the United States, Matt, as the act ends. Would you like to learn more? <laughs> After Are you the sure act that break, was him? That is absolutely Kurtwood Smith, who had a prior relationship, not that kind, with director with uh, Starship Trooper director Paul Verhoeven. Uh, Paul Verhoeven having Robocop. directed RoboCop with Kurtwood Smith. I never um, thought that was his uh, his voice. Would you like to learn more? Click on IMDb. Back to, to uh, Peggy Carter. Back to Jason is back again for now, and he still talks. Uh, Stark leaves for an Irish coffee because it's convenient to not have Stark in the scene as Peggy <laughs> kind of gets a little kind of winky-eyed there with Wilkes. Joking aside, though, Pete, Wilkes has, uh, finds himself impressed by Stark, and that is a rare thing. And also the, the converse is true. Stark is impressed with Wilkes, and that is a rarer thing. Agent Carter, too. Everybody's impressed here, but it's the real concern. Will Wilkes regain his corporeal form if that happens i'm uh, impressed that the show wanted to remind us that we should be impressed that stark is impressed with wilkes with the quality of wilkes sciencing and not the color of his skin and i'm impressed that they kind of pushed that in it they hit that story that story womp rat perfectly where they didn't oversell it and they didn't undersell it, but they gave the moment it's due, which is Stark has an open door um, because he's looks at all people equally unless they have a fanny. Uh, then he looks at them differently. <laughs> but the line from Peggy here that uh, she's an excellent judge of character and talking about Howard being 
um, a good friend and a good friend to have really kind of rounds that scene into appropriate form before we join Jack and Sousa back at SSR HQ LA. Perfectly said, Pete. Um, it's not just Jack there. It's not just Sousa. They're together, the two of them. And it's a reminder that Sousa is not into Peggy in any way. At least that's what he tells Jack. And that's what Jack thinks. Um, given that we, the audience, don't like Jack, period, the end, finito, Sousa's nuanced brush-off of Jack, you know, no, maybe not the drink right now, maybe not some other time, maybe let's not do a set a, set a date for it. Um, Jack's a jerk, so Sousa putting up a wall works for us. When Jack asks if they have patched up uh, Sousa and Carter, whatever, sent him packing out west, he explains that he is set to be engaged to a young lady that we haven't seen since that last episode. You got to wonder when she might pop up again. Uh, but hey, Matt, nice shirt. It is a nice shirt, nice shirt, Pete. It's a reminder that uh, in the Los Angeles, things are just a little bit more relaxed. It's how it's how they do it out here, Pete. It's just it's just chill. We get after this a really effective scene that sells you on uh, Whitney Frost here as an actress, though it might not come across in her scenes where she's on the set. Uh, what she does here with her husband, Calvin, in explaining what happened when Peggy came to interrogate her. She thought she was going to pull out the handcuffs and, uh, you know, she wants Mr. Hunt to take care of her. Um, but uh, Calvin explains that they've had enough run ins with the feds to last all year. And on come the waterworks, Matt. It is a challenge to any season of Agent Carter to give her a uh, give her an equal, uh, but on the side of evil. Um, and Whitney is a great is a great character to fill that need because she is more cerebral, because she is moving between these worlds of science and these worlds of Hollywood, and does so so effortlessly. Um, it's she's really a wonderful addition to this season. All the credit, Matt, goes here to um, Win Everett for selling this scene, you know, between the feign of being scared by Peggy Carter, uh, the veiled threat that they're using her to get to Calvin. And, uh, you know, I'd hate it if uh, this caught the council's attention to suddenly make him come around and decide to use Mr. Hunt. The story then moves to uh, Peggy hitting the old punching bag. A speed bag. Spe oh, uh, Pete, I just didn't want to use the lingo for, for everybody in general out there. I, I didn't want you to think I didn't know it was called a speed bag. Um, Jarvis, There's no speed in it, though. Well, or is there? um jarvis uh kind of breezes into the scene and it's another carter jarvis scene that sizzles and pete he he walks away and i don't think he's out of out of the shot for more than 
two two frames of the old film and then Peggy gets attacked. It it almost pushes believability because he surely must have have heard the attacker step up or whatever. Um, but nonetheless, we are given a nice quick fight scene and jump in the old pool there. It's Hollywood. And uh, Jarvis returns and uh, the fight concluding with Peggy taking a number of shots at why, Pete, do my eyes tell me? Is that the guy from the club? The goon? Mr. Hunt? Indeed, Mr. Hunt. And with Mr. Hunt, we break the act. After the act break, Pete, it's morning. Jarvis has installed a new, very British security system. <laughs> it is it is reserved, yet strong. And into the lab we go, where Stark needs to go to Peru because Dominic Cooper is a recurring guest star, not a cast member. Yes, in search of his old professor, Abner Brody. That, took, it, it, it's, it, it's because he's a recurring guest star. <laughs> took his brain to the Amazon. But uh, they've had an interesting night, Wilkes and Howard, not because of Howard bringing in some dames and, and getting crazy here, but the coffee and everything they've done to try to figure out if Wilkes can finally be made whole again. But for the second time, the subject of inviting a stranger into his home and uh, the aspect that Carter has been attacked, uh, Wilkes has had an attempt on his life. Now with uh, Peggy having been threatened, he wants to bow out of the situation and she talks him out of it. Pete, also in this scene, lots of clear exposition, uh, because we haven't quite had enough in this episode, uh, about how Whitney Frost knows all sorts of things about Zero Matter. Then, Pete, we return to SSRHQLA, where it's revealed um, that uh, Whitney Frost, that name is a stage name. Furthermore, Pete, she's actually the brains of Isodyne. So back-to-back Whitney Frost's there. Agnes Cully. Um, we get Jack and, uh, Kurtwood Smith's character at the old arena club there. And, uh, they're doing lunch. Yeah. That tough call has been appreciated. The, the faith rewarded and Jack gets introduced to Calvin. It's a small world after all. Uh, the future Senator chuckles at his headline about the opposition being ankled. Wait a minute, Pete, isn't that what you said before? It is. Here, perhaps redemptive credit to Jack, uh, who says nothing, but he notices. Pete, he is the ward of Agent Carter in that <laughs> we know he's not a good Stubble guy. Stubble and all. <laughs> Stubble and all, that's right. Uh, we know he's not a good guy. We want to believe in him, but something tells me we should not believe in him. But the upshot is this, that the youngest member of the arena club has now run for Senate unopposed, which all leads us to, Matt, Whitney Frost dressing room. Ken, the director, says the studio wanted to fire Whitney, but he didn't allow it, which I will admit was a little bit of a surprise to me um, because I thought we were setting up, you know, Ken being a bad guy. Then Ken becomes a bad guy. He gets grabby. And uh, then she kind of reaches out to him and the zero matter starts to come out of her finger. And then he gets pulled um, into the zero matter void, I suppose. 
Well, she had uh, had it on her head again, and he noticed it. Wait, what's that? And uh, then it transferred, and he was uh, consumed into her hand. I don't think she's going to be able to wash that off. What lunkheads deserve some time in the joint? This list of baddies will tell us just that, Pete. Shall we start with Whitney? We should. Whitney Frost here, we expand the character. We know from the previous episode that she had been affected by the zero matter. But to further flesh out um, her scientific background to find the alias there in Agnes Cully and her machinations, you know, manipulating her husband we've seen before, but to do it here using her acting chops and not the Lady Macbeth stuff of the previous episode, I found particularly effective to see her in a different light. This is a character who worked for me in the first two episodes, but didn't necessarily sizzle. In this episode, she starts to sizzle. Matt, what about Calvin Chadwick here and his pending senatorial campaign? Pete, old CC for me, one of those C's should stand for chump because I don't think we're getting to the midpoint of this season with him. Uh, which means either next week or the following week, uh, I think he something terrible, terrible is going to happen. In fact, and I'm truly just thinking out loud here, because if you don't know, dear listener, we run spoiler-free on here. Uh, isn't the tradition usually if a, if a political candidate dies, kind of, you know, either in office or, uh, or during a run, um, if there's not a replacement ready to go, you know, i.e. a vice president or, you know, next election, that kind of thing, Usually the wife steps in, so it, maybe that's that's a potential story point. It can be. But the idea that this character is limited, he is what he's laid out to be. Matt, the word was used, and it, it took me out of the show ever so briefly, used about uh, Wilkes' character, Patsy. And I had to say, it's Patsy, that's Jessica Jones, not Agent Carter. We're... we're dipping our our marvel peanut butter in our marvel chocolate for a second but uh he is a patsy in every sense of the word set up to fail and i think we're going to see that rather soon pete who's next on the list of lunkheads that would be kurtwood smith's still unnamed fbi agent or what i write in my notes 70s show dad (laughs) um Great character there. I I sent a note to you uh, mid-episode that I bet it'll be revealed that Red from that 70s show will be working for the Reds by uh, by the middle of the season. I think Um, it was confirmed by the end of this episode. (laughs) Yeah, it it came earlier than I thought that he's he's you know up to no good. He has the pin for goodness sake, Pete. We haven't seen anybody who. I mean, this is clearly more than like a manly man club. We've seen the peop- the guys with the pins having the discussion about Isodyne and clearing it out and all all this, that, and the other. So um, should we be surprised that Jack is going down the wrong path in order to get himself one of those medals from uh, the Kurtwood Smith character? I think not. Well, again, you know, to, to set a path from redemption the way he took credit for uh, Carter's mission last year, 
obviously they're going to flip that around. He's keeping his mouth shut now so he can build a case. Classified Top Secret. Holy mackerel. Time to take a gander if the G-Men don't want you to know. Pete, an episode with an actual G-Man, no less. Yeah, and uh, who'd have figured that Jason Wilkes, long departed from the series, Matt, last episode, would show up. Um, what is it with him in this uh, non-corporeal state when Whitney Frost has been affected by the zero matter uh, with it tangibly on her face and now on her hand, why did he not suffer the same fate? Pete, I think that what has happened is it's a combination of nerve gas and a laser light show that has led to these charlatans doing all their going after the ghosts just so that they can be ghost busting. I think that the second half of this season is going to involve the, the just, just, 1940s Ghostbusters. It'll be great. Well, further proof that Peggy just cannot catch a break, a potential love interest. You know, she's got one in the ice and, and one in a nether world. <laughs> Pete, sometimes sometimes women will say that they're that the man in their life acts like he's not there. He's literally not there. How about Whitney Frost at the end of this episode? Uh, you know, director Ken notices the zero matter on her and suddenly he's uh you know sucked into a swirling black vortex <laughs> wow um i believe this is the second episode in a row and certainly the second episode uh of the season that ends on a uh whitney black matter zero matter cliffhanger um which I guess means things are moving along pretty swimmingly there. Pete, I hope she doesn't have to end up wearing a, like a, like a mask, you know, because of what this is doing to her face. Uh, we did, of course, end with the, uh, with the, 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 the break on her face increasing ever slightly. Long distance. We want you to flap your lips, write a telegram, or even send us uh, the Twitter. And Pete, we got one of those from someone that you're going to tell us about. Uh, none of those. We got a Facebook uh, on the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. Greg Gear writes in, One more thing for the Fantastic Fellows. I am boffo for the bodacious bumper beats that I was wondering who was the sultry songstress swinging the sounds in your perfect podcast? Excellent use of alliteration there. I believe Greg is referring to the preview episode, uh, the season two preview episode that uh, concluded with a track from the Rocketeer soundtrack sung, no kidding, by actress Melora Harden, Jan from The Office, who also is quite a singer, and uh, that was Begin the Begin, a, a personal favorite of mine. Jan, also of the Toyota commercials. Pete, it's all connected. Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite sure how, I just know that uh, it's, all, it's all Jan-nected. Yes, and Greg replied, no kidding, had no idea she was a singer. You know, we're, we're not just pretty faces here, Matt. <laughs> 
Pete, uh, we had a the Twitter uh, from uh, from Mike D, who said uh, of the design that is in uh, Stark's uh, Stark's uh, workroom lab there. Ooh, original Iron Man Jarvis alarm. Pete, I believe what Mike is saying here is just the notion that the the um, the Jarvis voice saying, you know, you have intruded or whatever. That's the original Jarvis helping out in a stark manner. Oh, as far as the AI. OK, I, yes. I get the connection a little better. All right. OG Jarvis. There we go. OG Jarvis, indeed. And OG Pete. You're practically a person of glitterati fame. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on the Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 6,959 followers. Can't be wrong. While I am personally on the Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the radio program by being in touch with Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH in plenty of ways. Send an electronic letter to us on the Gmail, post a note on the dot com, or tweet us your telegraphs on the Twitter. Don't forget, Fantastic Geek is the way to go, and go we go, Pete, to one more way. Yes, facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek with the PH, all one word there. We've had our Jessica Jones, our most recently completed Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. People represent on Facebook. Agent Carter peeps, it's your turn now. Let's get talking about our, our gal Peggy. With that, I'll say goodbye, good night, good luck to one and all. And Pete, with what wacky words will you close tonight? Early bird ain't got nothing on a night owl.